We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, hello everyone and welcome to episode 75 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today. It is Belk Bowl week. We're going to break down the Gamecocks' upcoming matchup in Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend against the Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, Also talk some news and notes with basketball, some stuff that happened in the upstate over the week. We've also got a very special interview with a former Gamecock All-American and Eric Norwood. We'll get to your listener questions as well. Before we do all that, as always, this show is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. I know everyone is waiting to get their tickets to the Belk Bowl, seeing that the prices drop, stuff like that. I know that's exactly what I'm doing. Be sure to go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP to get $20 off your first purchase. It's a really great ticket-buying app. I use it all the time. They actually rate the tickets on a ticket system from red, shows you if you're getting a really bad deal, to green, showing if you get a really good deal. So download SeatGeek. Again, use the promo code SPURSUP to get $20 off your first purchase. Save some money this holiday season and make sure you're in Charlotte, North Carolina for the Belt Bowl to watch the Gamecocks beat the Virginia Cavaliers. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, he's Thomas Floyd. Like I said, we are back for another episode, officially episode 75. Uh, coming off of Christmas, Tom, how was your holiday? How did Christmas go for you? Uh, great as always. Great to see some family. Patriots got a win this previous weekend. Hopefully the Gamecocks can pull it out in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I did see the Pats got the win. I, I actually left Charlotte, was not even in town for the Panthers game just because they're terrible, and lo and behold, they lose by 14 points. But uh, no, nah, Christmas – the kid from Old Dominion kind of threw it around, though. I was watching him play a little bit. I'll be honest. I watched, like, maybe five minutes of it. I just – at this point in the season, I just really don't even care anymore. I mean, the Panthers yeah. are so bad. And I'm not so even – watch. I, yeah, I'm not a diehard NFL fan to begin with. So, for me, it's just kind of like, ah, it is really a total watch. But, no, nah, Christmas was good. The big man was good to me. Obviously, it was funny. We had a, a bombshell of news drop on Christmas Eve, which is – I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. But – uh Everything good. Now, the team got into Charlotte last night, Christmas Day, so um, some really good stuff. So let's jump right into it. Obviously, like I said, this is Belk Bowl week, South Carolina, facing the Virginia Cavaliers in this year's Belk Bowl noon kickoff on ABC in Charlotte, North Carolina, Bank of America Stadium officially. Uh, Gamecocks opened to this one right at around, I believe it was a three or a three-and-a-half point favorite. That number has since bounced around. Um, Carolina sits right now as a six-point favorite, over-under set at 53-and-a-half. 
Overall, South Carolina leads the series history of Virginia 21-13-1. I'm assuming a lot of those games coming from South Carolina's days when they were in the ACC. But last meeting, uh, one that I feel like a lot of Gamecocks will remember, South Carolina beat Virginia and Columbia 31-7 to in 2003. You'll remember Troy Williamson had the 99-yard touchdown reception, which I think is probably still the longest touchdown play in South Carolina football history. So uh, Virginia coming in this one 7-5, and 4-4 four and four in the ACC. I believe they struggled down the stretch, though. I believe they lost three of their last four, if I remember correctly. Um, but, Tom, you know, just coming into this one, you know, ACC-SEC matchup, it's always a fun game. I, I don't think South Carolina's ever been to the Belt Bowl, so this is one that I think, you know, a lot. I know a lot of people were hoping to get the Gator. I know me personally because I live in Charlotte and literally live walking distance to the stadium. I was selfishly very excited for the game to be in Charlotte. But, you know, overall, not a bad bowl game. Just what are your initial thoughts on – the bowl destination for South Carolina and the matchup itself? Well, I mean, obviously the Belt Bowl is one of the middle-tier bowls in the SEC. But, hey, I mean, for the season up and down, it's not a bad thing. Obviously, a lot of Carolina fans wanted the Gator Bowl. But right now, obviously, that just wasn't an option. Well, it wasn't an option until Texas A&M and LSU decided to score 70 points on each other. But um, as far as the opponent in Virginia, I mean, they're an ACC school that's – I mean, the ACC has been terrible this year. They lost three out of their last four. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think we got gifted a W, but I'm not, I'm not very scared of Virginia whatsoever. Yeah, I'm just going to go over their wins really quickly this season. They've beaten Richmond, Ohio, Louisville. Uh, they did beat Miami, Duke, North Carolina, and Liberty. So yeah, I mean, and look- lost to Virginia Tech in the last game of the season. Right. Virginia Tech was like four and six when they played them. Yeah, their losses: Indiana. They lost to NC State, uh, Pitt. Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. So, yeah, you look at their schedule. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure. <clears throat> again, you get a big time – or, excuse me, they actually lost to Virginia Tech. Never mind. Uh, but, anyways, you know, there's not really a win on their schedule that I would say really stands out. I mean, I, I feel the same sort as you do, Tom, that, you know, I come into this game very confident. I mean, even with Debo Samuel sitting out the bowl game, which is what we're going to start, you know, I, I feel very confident in this one for South Carolina just from a just a talent perspective, a matchup perspective. I feel like this is a game that South Carolina can sort of control from the beginning, and I don't want to give away my prediction, you know, right away, but I'll be honest with you, I, I'll almost be a little disappointed if South Carolina does not win this one by double digits. Um, let's start where I was just talking about, Tom, with Debo Samuel. Um, how, do you affect, how do you feel that affects the Gamecocks game plan at all to not have number one on the field Saturday? Well, I mean, it sucks, and it's obviously you're going to be missing him a lot. He's a big part of the game, whether it's on special teams and then special teams on punt return or not punt return, kick return, and then you know actually, well, punt return too. You know, he blocked a punt. Not yeah. block, he didn't block it, but he recovered. You're recovered in the end zone, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, he's going to be a big missing piece. But it gives you a look at what we're going to be doing next season, especially if you know Brian Edwards decides to come back and having him and Shai Smith. But I definitely going to definitely think it's going to give you a good look of having Brian Edwards as your number one guy, and then Shai Smith being really number two option in the offense. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting storyline for this game. Just simply talking about, like you're saying, it's almost giving us an inside look. Um, in the 2019, obviously, minus some freshmen, minus some guys that may step up in the offseason. But your main core dudes and Brian Edwards, you know, fingers crossed he comes back. But Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, and Josh Van, And then you're going to throw in Ortre next season. But I think it's I think it's a really interesting game from that perspective of, of how differently, if any, does Brian McClendon call this football game? How does Brian Edwards sort of embrace being the number one guy? How does Shai Smith sort of embrace being the number one slot speed option? Um, and then how does Josh Van step up? I, I think it's a really intriguing uh, offensive game for South Carolina. Again, I, I agree with you that it, 
from a from a selfish perspective, obviously a fan perspective, it sucks. I mean, I, you know, any South Carolina fan, it definitely sucks. But we all understand why Debo is doing what he's doing. We've we've talked at it ad nauseum. But um, I, I'm not sure. You know, like you said, I'm not sure it really affects the game plan all that much. And the fact I think South Carolina can still have a ton of success against Virginia. I mean, they're a again, they're a team that <clears throat> excuse me. They're a team that you look at them statistically, and they're, I believe I read, they're number two, they're ranked number two in the ACC in pass defense. They've got a fantastic defensive back in Bryce Hall. But I would warn South Carolina fans and really those, any of those looking into this game to not look too hard at those numbers. I mean, you know, you don't, I don't want to try to take anything away from Virginia, but it's hard not to with the level of play the ACC is at right now. I mean, let's just be all completely honest. Um, so I really wouldn't look too, too hard into that you know, into that number two ranked pass defense number. Um, I mean, you look at who they played. I mean, South Carolina, I could argue, would be the best pass def- pass offense they've played and have the most weapons offensively yeah. that they've faced. Um, moving to the defensive side, Tom, because, you know, while Debo Samuel's out, South Carolina's defense does have some guys returning. You've got Bryson Allen Williams coming back for his last game in Garnet and Black. I know everybody's very excited about that. Um, Will Muschamp said J.C. Horn will be ready to go in this one. Uh, Kier Thomas is, I think he should be ready to go, but who knows? We don't even know what that means. And it looks like Aaron Sterling is going to be out. But obviously getting those two big guys back in uh, Bryce and Allen Williams and uh, J.C. Horn is going to be huge for this defense. And it obviously sucks to have a guy I, I need to mention. Javon Kinlaw obviously sitting out with the hip surgery he's having. But, Tom, talk about you think the impact that a guy like Bryce and Allen Williams returning for his last game in a, in a South Carolina uniform can have on this game. Well, it's going to be huge. He had such a pass rush presence and just a guy that can play almost any position on the defense, whether it be DN, Buck, or outside linebacker. I mean, he's something that you don't really get a lot. He's a guy that's going to be playing everything. I think Rodriguez Fenton will be able to fit into that role once he gets on the campus. But there's, I mean, I don't think you can put into words the impact that he's going to have against Virginia. I would say he's going to have a pretty big game in his last game for South Carolina. Yeah, you'd have to think so. I'm just excited to see him back on the field because I just feel like it's been so long since we've seen him on the field. And yeah. you always feel good for a guy that can get healthy in time for the bowl game to make an impact. Um, <clears throat> you know, just talking about this game, Tom, from perspective of, you know, these bowl games, in a, in a game like this, we all understand that it really is, I hate to say it, meaningless. I mean, it's a meaningless bowl game. If South Carolina wins or loses, it's not going to – derail the program in any type of way or anything like that I and mean, people are still going to have I feel like people are still going to be fairly optimistic going into next season returning a senior quarterback with an improved defense but just talk about in your opinion the the impact this game can have you know on the South Carolina program I mean because Will Muschamp and uh, Bronco Mendenhall the Virginia head coach have talked about a lot in their pressers that you know obviously eight is better than seven I mean finishing your season eight and five is much much better than finishing finishing at seven and six um, and, again, I think it's a really intriguing matchup, just the SEC-ACC. I think South Carolina establishing that, you know, the S, you know, you don't want to have conference pride, if you will, but just putting your foot down, you know, we, we are the better conference, we are the better team, and we're going to show that on the field. I think winning a game like this can carry a lot of positive momentum into the offseason. What say you? Well, I think when it comes to the win-loss aspect of it, obviously a win's a good thing going into the offseason. It helps you in recruiting and the, you know, the next signing period, the late signing period, I guess, coming up. But – I think it helps you a lot. It boosts the morale going into the offseason. It gives you something to work for, saying you ended the season with a win against an ACC team, and you're going to start the season with a win against – start next season with a win against an ACC team. I think that's the mentality you have to have. But I think a loss hurts you more because it kind of puts a, a down downward spiral – not a downward spiral in the offseason, but, you know, you get kind of down on yourself, I would think. You know, we just lost Virginia, man. Like, what are we doing? But 
I mean, I think the loss hurts you more, but I think either way, it's not the end of the world. Like you said, I don't think it's a program defining win or loss either way. No, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I think more so from a national perspective. Uh, you know, we all know that on December 29th, this is going to be a huge day for football. Everybody's going to be watching the playoff. And I think people are going to use the the noon, the 1230, I believe it's Florida, Michigan. People are going to use these early games as sort of an appetizer. And they're going <clears> to, <throat> you know, everybody's just going to have football on. And I think that obviously the loss isn't going to be detrimental to your program. But I, I think overall, just from a national perspective, it could be a bad look just because, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but it is Virginia. I mean, it's just – it is Virginia. Yeah. We know how down the ACC has been this season. But I think, you know, the biggest thing is that it, it can be a huge positive getting the win, like I said, getting to eight and five, um, going into the offseason with a lot of positive momentum. You know, it just kind of reinforces that, hey, what you're building right now at South Carolina is you're moving in the right direction. I mean, you're moving in the brand-new Ops facility when you get back from the bowl game, basically. Um, so I think it can do a lot as far as – positive momentum and just moving forward as a program for sure um all right let's get into some key matchups tom what is your key matchup to watch on saturday um it's gonna be bryce nine williams versus the quarterback from virginia bryce perkins bryce perkins has been lighting it up this year for them I, he's basically the only reason they probably have seven wins i mean you look at his statistics 2400 yards almost 2500 64 completion rate average of about eight yards 22 touchdowns and nine picks but he has been sacked 30 times which is seems like a good amount to me and it kind of points to the fact that his defense, his offense line really isn't that good. And when I was looking at some of the highlights from over the season and I was looking at Virginia Tech and Virginia, their matchup at the, at the end of the year, man, he was getting absolutely crushed a lot of times. And they don't they don't like – I don't want to say they don't record pressures right, but they were getting to him when he was throwing the ball a lot. So I think if Bryce and I Williams can have a great day for us and get to him a couple of times and make him, you know, flushed and just – we can get up get up on them fast, maybe get up 21 to 7 in the halftime. I think the ball game will pretty much be over at that point. But, yeah, Bryce Nye Williams has a big game. Against Bryce Perkins, we'll be good. Yeah, I definitely think that's a huge matchup. I was talking about to you in the pre-show. I mean, you look at Bryce Perkins statistically. I mean, his, his stats really jump off the page to you. I mean, again, no matter the competition they've played, he is a dynamic player. And it's funny, you know, when <clears throat> when the matchup was first announced, um, I texted a good buddy of mine that coll- follows college football nationally and, just kind of got, you know, I didn't know really, honestly, I didn't know much about Virginia. And the first thing he said was Bryce Perkins and that they have a dynamic quarterback. And <clears throat> again, I was able to go look at some, some tape and just look at, you know, sort of Virginia as a whole. And again, you look at the statistics and it really looks like with Virginia, if you stop Bryce Perkins, you pretty much stop what they're in try, what they're trying to do entirely on offense and really their entire, entire team. So I a hundred percent agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see again, the type of impact Alan Williams has in his first game back and, I don't even know how long, but yeah, just playing your assignments, playing playing assignment football, and being able to, when Bryce Perkins does pull it down and tries to run with it, being able to account for him is going to be a big issue for South Carolina. A big big thing they're going to need to focus on, I should say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So my key matchup to watch for me is wide receiver Shy Smith <clears throat> against the defensive back Bryce Hall of Virginia. Again, of all the guys on on Virginia's defense, this is the one. I mean, I think he's projected a first or second round pick defensive back and I think this is a great opportunity for Shai Smith to really just reinforce and show what he's made of I mean we, we I, I just think back to the Clemson game when he had seven catches for 90 yards in the first quarter and I'm thinking that I mean th- that is really this guy's potential Shai Smith if used correctly and if he can step up his game I think can be one of the best wide receivers in the SEC next season and I, you know I know coming into next season if Brian Edwards comes back he will undoubtedly be the number one receiver but I almost look at Shai Smith as that Debo Samuel replacement, almost being the number one in the sense that 
he's the number one playmaker for you offensively. That a guy that can just take a little slant route, take a little curl route, and take it to the house. So I, I'm really intrigued to watch that matchup against Shy Smith. I know is a guy that's going to want to play on Sundays. Bryce Halls and, and definitely a guy that's going to play on Sundays. So that ought to be a really really fun matchup to watch. Not only from the South Carolina Virginia perspective, but if you're looking for you know good NFL tape, I, I think that'll be a fun one to watch as well. Uh, moving into the biggest keys of the game, Tom. My biggest key of the game, and I kind of alluded to it talking about the Bryson Allen Williams burst, Bryson Allen Williams and Bryce Perkins matchup. For South Carolina, it's just simply play your game. Uh, and what that really means is to simplify things, play assignment football. Don't try to do too much. Again, Debo Samuel sitting this one out. Um, I don't think anyone offensively needs to try to play hero ball or be some sort of hero and do anything out of the ordinary. I, I think just go into this one, play your game, know you're the better team. Uh, defensively, obviously you're down a ton of guys. You're playing a ton of youngsters. But at this point in the season, Tom, I think we can say that if, if you're a true freshman playing and you've played as much as some of these guys, you're not really a true freshman. I mean, you, you're somewhat – you have experience. You've played against really, really good competition. Virginia is not going to pose the same threat that a team like Clemson did. I could even say a team like Texas A&M did. Even, maybe even a team like Florida did. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, all – Three of those teams are better than Virginia by a mile. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I just think play your game, play assignment football. Don't try to do anything too much. Don't try to do too much. Stay within yourself, and I think good things uh, will happen for South Carolina because I think they're good enough to win this game without anyone trying to do more than they normally do, if that makes sense. So, uh, Tom, what's your biggest key to uh, to the game on Saturday? Well, I think it's, you have to stop Bryce Perkins. I think the defense is going to be limited in what they can do schematically just because of so many people being out or really hurt. And it, even with the bowl, with there being a, a lot of time between the end of the year and the bowl game, I think it's still going to be a, a lot of people that aren't really maybe 100%. But when you look at the game and look what Virginia does, you have to stop Bryce Perkins. There's no other way to get around it. He's their offense. He's their team. He basically leads them in every – he leads them in every facet of the game almost. I mean, he's a – he's – less than 100 yards from their leading rusher with only like eight less attempts from the quarterback position. And he has nine touchdowns on the year. That doesn't make, doesn't make any sense, but I just don't understand. I mean, you just have to stop him. There's nothing else to it. I mean, if you stop him, you win the game. I, there's really no other key to it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, looking at this one, you know, I, I think Bryce Perkins is a guy, he may get his yards. I think if South Carolina can really stop him, they could win this one running away. Because, again, I just – if you can stop Bryce Perkins and you can beat him, I just don't know what other way they're going to beat you. I understand they have a running back that's done pretty well this season, but, I mean, how how heavily can they rely on him? You know what I mean? So, I know they've got some good weapons outside, and uh, the kid whose name I just can't pronounce, Z, uh, Zacchaeus, I believe, is his last name. They've got some decent guys on the outside as well. But, again, it all starts and ends with Bryce Perkins. And if, Like you're saying, if you can put the clamps down on him, I think you – Again, it's just going to be very hard for Virginia to do anything unless South Carolina gifts them gifts them opportunities. So, uh, with that being said, Tom, we'll move into our predictions for the game. Um, I'll let you start. What do you think is going to happen on Saturday? I think South Carolina is going to come out and throw the ball around on them. Oh, I don't even. I, don't even, I think we're just going to move it offensively. We're a better football team than they are. There's not a lot to it. I think a final score of 37-24 is probably what I would see right here. South Carolina covers the spread. I don't even know. It's it's six in Carolina's favor. Yeah, we cover the spread easy. I'd say the over probably hits. I would take the over by a mile in this, but mm. I just think we're a better football team than they are at this point. I, they I, they have some good pieces. Bryce Perkins is good, but you know if you take him away, you win the ball game, and I think that's what Muschamp and them or Muschamp and co- company are going to do. I don't think there's any way they're going to let him with a month of preparation just run all around on them. I mean, it would be insane to me, but 
Then you look on the offense, I think Billings, you know, he wants to have a good day. Brian Edwards, if he has a big bowl game, maybe it can boost him a little bit in, that, in the draft, and that's something he's trying to do. But I just think we're a better football team than they are at the end of the day. So I'm going to go 37-21 Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I'm almost spot on with you. I mean, it's funny because I went on a Virginia podcast, I think it was last week, that I believe they're dropping today. But those, you know, I'll just tell you, from the Virginia side of things, those guys are really, really confident. They they really uh, – I don't know if he picked Virginia to win just simply because it's it was his Virginia podcast or whatever. But those guys sound very, very confident. And But I come into this one the same way as you, Tom, is that you just look at this game from even from an objective perspective and – Again, I will be disappointed if South Carolina doesn't win by double digits. I, I just don't – like you're saying, South Carolina is just a better football team, period. Uh, uh, you know, I've got South Carolina winning this one 38-21. It's almost right at what you were saying. Maybe – actually, I'll say 38-24. i got South Carolina 38-24 winning this one again. I just think South Carolina is the better football team. They've got better athletes. Um, I think South Carolina will be able to do a, pretty much whatever it wants offensively. I, I'm really just intrigued to see how much they – how much – is it more pass focused or run focused? Do they how much do they try to mix it up? What you know what what their game plan is? I guess going into the game Saturday, but I think defensively again, I think Bryce Perkins is going to be able to get his. I think he's too good of an athlete, too good of a player not to. They'll be able to hit on some big plays just simply because the South Carolina defense is so depleted. But you know, overall, I just I don't think this is a game that ever really will feel that close. I, I expect South Carolina to come out fast after a month, like you're saying, a month off. Um, I expect I expect South Carolina to come out fast, probably jump out to a fourteen nothing, maybe seventeen to three lead or something like that. I really I really do expect them to come out quick, um, be yeah. excited for the bowl game, the opportunity. And again, I just I don't think this is a game that ever really feels all that close. And I think South Carolina gets a pretty big W and you know moves in the offseason eight and five and just keep building that positive momentum and build some positive momentum going into twenty nineteen. So yeah, so we both got South Carolina getting the win. Um, let us know your thoughts, obviously, on social media. We're going to get some get to some other news and notes where we close everything out. Uh, men's basketball has been having a go of it. Uh, um, I was at the game Saturday, Tom. We just want to touch on it really, really quickly. South Carolina loses to Clemson. I believe it was the third or fourth year in a row they've lost them in men's basketball. It's funny. I said after the game to someone, you could have told me they've lost 10 in a row, and I would have believed it just simply because of the the struggles that South Carolina men's sports have had against Clemson of late. But you know, just overall, your thoughts on the men's basketball program? Because I was honestly thinking about doing a periscope, a, a daily crow, if you will, on Sunday after the game. But I find myself just saying the same things over and over and over again. Just there's really just not a whole lot that I can say that I haven't seen on this team. What's what? I mean, do you do you have any uh, profound thoughts on what you're seeing from Frank Martin's squad this season? I mean. Obviously, they're having a really down year, and I think that they're going to struggle to be 500. But when you look at it, he really should have a senior in P.J. Dozier this year, a guy that left the, left to go to the league, and it wasn't the greatest decision in the world by any means. And he's obviously playing the D-League for the Celtics right now and doing he's doing okay, but he could be killing it in college basketball right now and could have turned himself into a first-round draft pick probably. But decided to go to the NBA early, and that's kind of hurting him. I think he, I think he kind of expected to have P.J. for longer than just his sophomore year. And then you look at a guy like – Rakeem Felder, who got kicked off the heat, that would be an absolute beast on this team right now. He would help you score some points and play some hard in his defense. But overall, I mean, we have a bunch of young guys. I, I watched some of the game on Saturday against Clemson. And, uh, there, I mean, there was a lot to look at and be like, okay, we have something for next year. Because Chris Silva's going to be gone. Mike, I mean, he's not been himself this year. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if it's mentally or physically. He just isn't there. But Kotsar hasn't been having a good year either. I think he misses about four open layups a game. 
And then you have guys like A.J. Lawson, who's just too young. I mean, he's just honestly just too young. He, I think he graduated a year early. I could be, I could be awful on that one. I could be thinking about the wrong guy. But I think he graduated a year early and is playing in the SEC. Is playing a, a tough out-of-conference out of schedule right now in his first season, having to be a leading scorer. I mean, not many guys are asked to do that unless you're looking at Duke or Kansas or somewhere like that when those guys are probably a little bit more talented than A.J. Lawson is. No, nothing against him. It's just those guys are just better players at that age. But, I mean, I'm – I'm not on the train of firing him right now. I don't think anybody should be at that point yet. I say give him until next season and then see what he does with a full team, especially with Trey Hannibal coming in. He's a guy that I, I like a lot from South from Hartsville. Plays really hard. But um, I think next year's the year you really have to judge him. I, th- I think if he can't replicate success from the early Sundarius days and late Michael Carrera days next year, then I would be pretty disappointed and say that he would probably need to see, seek other um, employment. Yeah, I mean, I'm really – because I was at the game Saturday, Tom. I mean, I'm really excited for the young guys. I mean, you have to love a guy like A.J. Lawson, Keyshawn Bryant, Alonzo Frank, a lot of these young guys. I mean, they're all very talented guys, and they all step up to the plate and play very well. I mean, I thought they all played well on Saturday. Um, I agree with you. I mean, even though Chris Silva, I think, has been better of late, it, it's – He's not – Chris Silva from last year. He's I, – I definitely just think he's pressing. I mean, he's a guy that – you know, has all the physical tools. So, I don't think it has anything to do with physical. I think it's all mental right now that he's just pressing. He knows he's the all-SEC guy. He, I think he's putting the pressure on that, you know, this team should run through me. I, and I talked about it even – I remember talking about it last year, that being a leader is not so much – that's really just not his MO. That's not his game. I, I don't – you know, and that's not a knock on him. It's just some guys are meant to do that. And some guys, you know, just personality-wise, they, they do that more naturally than others. And I – I don't know that that's really his M.O., you know what I mean? I think he just wants to kind of go play basketball and be, you know, be to himself, if you will. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not on the fire Frank Martin train right now. I don't think it does you any good. Um, at the end of the season, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I'm just one of those people that – and it's a bad place to be because you never want to be in the middle. But I, I'm just sort of like I don't, I don't love Frank Martin. I don't hate Frank Martin. I mean, I appreciate what he did. I literally put up a picture yesterday of an old uh, – Daily game, my I think my sister had it. Daily Gamecock when they went to the Final Four, the unforgettable headline with Cinderius Thornwell doing the four. I mean, that's great memories. I mean, I appreciate Frank Martin for all he's done, but at the end of the day, at the end of the season, they decided to get rid of him and cut ties. It wouldn't hurt me. Like it wouldn't hurt my yeah. feelings. You know what I mean? I feel so, the same way. I, and then if they wanted to bring him back next season, I mean, again, I, I don't think he's a top five head basketball coach, but I mean, he's not a bad coach for South Carolina. I've said that before. So. You know, it's just frustrating to watch, but I, I think that – and even probably I need to do this. I think we just really need to temper our expectations and understand this is going to be a really bad year. South Carolina, I put up a poll the other day, how many games will South Carolina – how many wins will they finish with? I think the the number fell like between 12 to 14 or something, which is a very bad year. I mean – Yeah, not great. I mean, when you're going into conference play, you're going to be going into conference play five and seven – or five, excuse me, five and eight, I think it is. I mean yeah. – what can you expect? I mean, for South Carolina to to find seven, you know, seven or eight wins in uh, conference play is going to be very difficult with that conference schedule. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Again, the, the one positive, again, I think you just pulled from the season is I think we're all really, really excited about those youngsters, the young guys, A.J. Lawson's. the And like you're saying, like a, a Kuznard's not even playing yet. The, what, yeah, what's the, definitely. Uh, the, Trey Hannibal's not even playing yet. So. Well, he's, he's, he'll be in next year. He's next be year, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, It'd be interesting to see, but I'm really excited about uh, about those youngsters, so we'll kind of see what happens. The other big news, the bombshell that dropped on Christmas Eve, uh, three Clemson players um, 
were caught basically tested positive for a drug test through the NCAA. Basically, the NCAA drug test anytime you're going into any type of tournament or postseason play or anything like that. These three guys, which one of them is Dexter Lawrence, the other two, I, they're like offensive linemen or something. That kind of guys. One was a tight. One was a tight end, a backup tight end. Okay. Well, anyways, the, the notable one certainly was Dexter Lawrence, but these three guys tested positive by the NCAA for Osterine, um, which is basically a steroid. Um, I, listen, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not trying to be one. Uh, you know, there's been a bunch of Twitter nutritionists this week talking about. Which that has been the funniest part, by the way. Yeah, I'm gonna get definitely. To, I'm going to get to the social media stuff in a second, but that that has been very funny. But anyways, these three guys tested positive for an illegal substance. Um, right now, they're ineligible. Basically, they're they're getting a B sample testing, which I think is a pretty standard operating procedure. They're getting a B sample. They're going to test it. If there's nothing in there, I think they're going to be eligible. If there is, obviously they're still out. But overall, Tom, just a wild story to drop on Christmas Eve, and then of course the fallout on social media that was with Clemson fans that it was just a spectacle amongst itself. I, I didn't know people could be that miserable on Christmas day, but you know, there they were our Instagram. You can imagine our Instagram mentions got lit up or yeah. my Twitter mentions specifically got yeah. lit up. The well, tweet you put out with um, the, it was like a quote tweet of something saying that players that got suspended for using PEDs right. and it was like hashtag all in on drugs. I died laughing. That was the funniest thing you've ever tweeted. Well, and I was pretty happy with the the, the tweet I put out with the uh, Dexter Lawrence's face on a uh, uh, Rafael Palmeiro. The I did not. I never use steroids. Yeah, that's hilarious, dude. Um, listen, I put out just really quick because I don't want to beat a dead horse with this thing. We've all seen it. We've all seen what's happened and kind of seen the fallout. And listen, if you had to ask me. I, gun to head, I think they play. I just, I think they find a way to play. I, I think that this comes back. I think, next. That, I think that the most people have been saying there's like zero chance the drug test will be done by the time the yeah. first game is. So I think they'll be out for the Notre Dame game, but I don't think that game that really matters for as much. Yeah, as that. I, I mean, listen, I put out two tweets about it on my personal account. One of them was more so an emotional, like, hey, like Clemson's screwing around, like the kind of the typical thing, which. I mean, it was emotional, but I'm not 100% sold on that. They're not doing that. But whatever, haha, we can kind of laugh at that one. The other one that I got completely roasted for by Clemson fans, which is funny, is that I made the point on social media to say, listen, I played a college sport. I've been tested by the NCAA three different – I remember specifically every single year I was tested by the NCAA, twice by the team. Um, and it, so I kind of know the process <clears throat> and know what it's like to be on a college team and how they warn you about stuff like this, stuff like – uh, different substances, illegal substances, and people saying that, you know, that Osterine or anything illegal can be found in sports drinks and energy drinks. Like, listen, they didn't take a Gatorade. Like, th th that's not where this happened. And my only point to what I was talking to you, Tom, about in the pre-show was that simply as a college athlete, and this was at a Division two level now, for any of those – people probably know at this point because my information, I feel like, has been just plastered all over social media. But I played college baseball at Newberry, so – you're talking about a much lower scale division two. I mean, you know, nothing like a Clemson, South Carolina, whatever, but either way, it's a collegiate sport. It's NCAA, the same exact thing. Um, and I remember specifically, I mean, our staff, they do everything on staff to warn you about, Hey, there, there's this, there's this, there's these banned substances, there's this and that. Um, don't take anything that we don't give you that we don't approve. I mean, they would literally tell you to bring by any of your protein stuff and let them, let them look at it, let them approve it, stuff like that. So, to me, you think about that was at Newberry. You think about the resources these guys have in 2018 at Clemson, South Carolina, yeah. Georgia, any of these big schools. My only point was simply being a former college athlete, you have to be either 
doing it intentionally, knowing you're taking something that's iffy or you know it's wrong, or you just have to be a complete dumbass to fail a drug test because there really isn't an excuse. I mean, again, you're not going to sit here and convince me that he got the Osterine in his system from drinking a Red Bull. Like, I'm just, that's not, that's not logical. None of that makes sense. Why didn't everybody else fail the drug test? I mean, if isn't Osterin like illegal for consumption in the United States? Like, it, it so, can't be mixed with energy drinks. Or that's, that's what I read. And that's what I'm getting to in the fact that so many Twitter nutritionists and people on Twitter, dude, people were getting, people were using the Google machine yesterday. There's no question. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, whatever it is, I, I don't, yeah, I've seen that it can only be obtained on the black market. And then you've got some people saying, well, it's in drinks. And, don't even get me started on Dabo Sweeney's comments because the comments that Dabo made on it were when you read them, they were like, man, that's just, it's just Dabo. Then you heard them. And I don't know if you've heard them or not. I'm not telling you to go back and listen to them because I, for one, am ready to just, I don't even care anymore. Positive, not positive. This has all just been a PR nightmare for them. I can at least, I'm happy in that. I don't even care anymore if your guys play. I don't care if they're, whatever. But, if you have not heard, literally heard the comments from Dabo Sweeney, his press conference was, it was despicable. It was disgusting to listen to. It, it sounded like a snake speaking. Uh, just the way he was trying to downplay it, saying that it was a, they found a, they found a sliver. A sl- I mean, what does that even mean? I, what, what I don't does know. That I have mean? no idea. Just the way he tried to downplay it and say that, well, if they drug tested all of us right now, it'd probably all be in our system. It's like, no, it wouldn't, Dabo. Like, stop, that works. stop trying to make that like it's an okay thing. So his comments were ridiculous. There were a ton of ridiculous comments on social media. But my only point to the whole situation is if you're a college athlete and you have every resource available at your fingertip, people are like, well, look at all these drugs that it's found in. Or look at all these proteins and all these powders and all this whatever that it's found in that's sold over the counter that uh it doesn't list it's in there and my only response is why are you taking those if you're a college athlete what is the point why are you going to gnc and buying some random product like these guys have football operations facilities you know if you want to if you want to brag about the clemson operations and their facilities and how great it is then you can't sit here and complain that these guys need to go out of the facility to get some nutrition that they don't have that that makes no sense none of that makes any sense and like i said if they didn't do it on purpose, they're just an idiot. It's just that's just stupid. They're just stupid. So. How do you take drugs not on purpose? Like, what? <laughs> like, I don't understand how you would just like. I mean, listen. Randomly, if you're a college athlete, why are you taking energy drinks? Like, they're terrible for your body what? and they don't help you get big at all. Like, why would you be doing that? Listen, I, I've I've heard of guys uh, or people. You know, they would tell us, "Hey, don't drink a bunch of like caffeine the night before the test. Like, you can fail because of spiked results in caffeine and stuff." But they literally warn you ahead of time. And somebody asked me, well, why do you feel like they only found so much in these samples? I was like, well, if, if you smoked weed the day before a drug test, would you not try to flush it out of your system? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, so I don't know. It's all funny to me. I really think it's just hilarious at this point. Clemson fans have been, I mean, they have been up in arms about it. It, it has been one of the funnier things I've seen on Twitter. You literally have someone that took the time to, Google where I played collegiate athletics, look up my statistics and try to come at me for my stats in college. I mean, I'm flattered that somebody would take the time to do that. And the funny thing is, Tom, it's not like I played last year. So they literally had to look through every year until they got to 2011, like looking that hard. I mean, it's not like it's like the easiest information. Who has time to do that on Christmas? Like what on Christmas day. Yeah. On Christmas day. So 
some real Twitter warriors out there. Shout out to you guys. You make what we do a lot of fun. But I think, I, like I told you in the pre-show time, I did myself a favor. I muted the word Clemson from all my mentions. So I think I just definitely improved the quality of my life. There's no questions asked. So, yeah. all right, let's get off of the Clemson dumbass shit. And let's get into some listener questions. Um, Tom, I'll start with you. C. Williams, 03 underscore. Is Virginia's quarterback very good? Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, he's no, he's terrible. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Judd Rupp asked USC Charlotte Bowl practice site. Um, I can tell you they're they're practicing at Charlotte Latin High School. Unfortunately, the practices are closed to the public, so I would not suggest going. Even though I thought about trying to break in there, I, it, I, listen, I don't know why we don't have credentials either. It's it's really crappy. But I actually to let everybody know I might try to go on Friday to media day because I know I like I said I live in Charlotte and I can literally walk to where it is so think a shooter I'm gonna shoot my shot Tom I, shooter, shooter see what happens yeah let's just see what happens uh NRA lover 2004 Josh Van takeover with Ortre and Debo two wide receivers out he'd be a number three number three wide receiver um Tom what are you expecting out of Josh Van Saturday uh five catches 50 yards I mean I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, he's probably going to have a good game, but especially considering he'd be matched up on the number three guy for Virginia. I don't know the name of him, but I'm sure he's not as good as Bryce Hall or their number two guy is pretty good, the one with five picks. But, yeah, I, I mean, should he have a pretty good game? Yeah, will it happen? Maybe. Yeah, for sure. Um, Padge45 asked, with all our injuries, how many points has the Virginia offense put on us? I think we're saying somewhere between 20 and 24, 27 yeah, maybe. I would say, I would say 21 to 20. I would say 28 max, and then 21 would be probably like what they're probably Somewhere in be. the 20s. We'll just say somewhere yeah. in the – I think in the 20s. I think they'll they'll be able to have some success, but uh, nothing like South Carolina will be able to, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Colby Tucker, five. Is Bryson Allen is playing? Yes, he is. Um, Jack Dot Luther, who do you think has a better chance of starting next year, Holinsky or Joyner? I'm going to answer this one. Jake Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> um, if all else fails, probably Ryan Helensky, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um Gamecocks season. Uh never mind. Actually, that's not that's not a question. Um, other than that, let me see if we have any voicemails. I think we actually might have one. I'm not hundred percent sure. Again, I know you guys are busy with the holidays. So. If you say kid that's a Titans fan talking trash again, I'm gonna light him up. Um, let's see, December the Yeah, no, I don't think we have any. Um, no, no, no. Word? This is uh, no. This is yeah. It was everybody was busy with the holiday season. Yeah. I can't blame them. Holiday season. I understand, guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, we don't have anything. We, I think literally the last voicemail I have is the the one trolling the the Patriots. So whatever, bro. It's not. We're gonna win the Super Bowl now again because we're back. We're oh back. The God. Patriots are back. Oh my! Because they win one game and win the yeah. East. I, I guess think the Bills expected that. Yeah, the Bills. Right. Once okay, if the Pats get the number one seed. We're officially back because we don't lose at home. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Un- you're, you know what? You're unfortunately probably right, and everybody's just going to want to fucking – And then we're going to lose the Super Bowl like the Rams or the Saints because we don't have a defense. Well, uh, you know what's funny? My my best friend is a uh, is a Falcons fan. He obviously he obviously hates the Saints, but he hates the Pats because he was at the Super Bowl, Falcons-Pats. And I, I told him, I was like, you're your worst night, you know, in the Super Bowls in Atlanta, I was like, your worst nightmare is Saints Pats in the Super Bowl because one, no one who, do you, no who do you pull for, and then two, yeah. you have Pats fans and Saints fans going to take over your city. So it's true. Um, fun fact though, I actually was at the NFC Championship the the Falcons played in when they played the Pats in the Super Bowl that year. I went to that game because my dad is a Falcons fan. Watch wow. Aaron Rodgers get his jaw beat in. So if anybody wants to tell me Aaron Rodgers is the goat, you're the 
stupidest person I've ever listened to him <laughs> at this point. He's garbage. Oh my God. Not garbage. He's just not as good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Um, very, again, very excited for the belt bowl on Saturday. I've got some, I'm working on some stuff right now with game day. I can, I can tell you guys, if anyone is going, um, I'll be at the belt bowl festivities on Friday. I think they're having like a pregame type party in uptown. Um, I know Charlotte Gamecock club, our friends over there, they're having a party at flight, which you all remember from our live show. Um, but I believe Belt Bowl is having a party like in the middle of Uptown in the epicenter. So either way, there's going to be a ton of festivities, ton of fun stuff going over the Belt Bowl, and then obviously I'll be at the game on Saturday. Tom, I, you, I don't think you're going to be making the game, right? No, nah, I won't be there. Okay, so I'll be at the game Saturday. I'll be around the tailgate. I'm trying to figure out something for like a uh, a pre-show, if you will. Also, I know a lot of you probably saw on social media. I have a ton of Holinsky's hope wristbands. Uh, going to definitely give those out to South Carolina fans. If you see me. Friday or Saturday at the tailgate at the game, whatever. I'll have some on me, but we're looking for a creative way to give those out. We're not going to charge for them. I know a lot of people have been asking how much for the wristbands. I'll pay you. We're absolutely not going to charge for those. Um, I will tell you they are very awesome. It's Lohinski's Hope wristbands, but they're in garnet and black. Uh, it's very, very cool stuff. The Forever to Three shirts are still out on the website. They're still going to a great organization, obviously, Lohinski's Hope. Um, and we'll be adding more merch going into 2019. And, Tom, this is officially our last show of 2018. So I feel like it's been really, really good stuff. And I, I know you've been with me for most of the shows. I mean, I would say 90% of them. Um, great year for the brand. Yeah, great year for the Spurs Up show. Great year for the brand. And we really appreciate everyone tuning in and making 2018 a huge success. And I only think that, you know, we just rebranded or just relaunched in November. So I definitely think 2019 is setting up to be – without a doubt, our best year yet. So I'm year of the Spurs Up show. Yeah, the year of the Spurs Up show, for sure. Um, but other than that, we've got a fantastic interview, and I mean a fantastic interview coming up um, with former Gamecocks All-American Eric Norwood. I was able to sit down with him, and it's funny, Tom, you forget just how dominant he was until you go back and you look at his stats, and he was a freak. Um, th three times he was the freshman All-SEC team. He made the All-SEC team sophomore, junior, and senior year, and the senior season was an All-American. Um, he's a leader in sacks, tackles for loss, absolutely fantastic human being. We had a legendary conversation talking about his life at South Carolina, pro football career, what he's doing after football, some thoughts on Steve Spurrier, what Will Muschamp's doing, this, that, and the other. So a lot of fun stuff. So stick around. Um, again, this is an interview presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. So if you're still looking for tickets to the Belt Bowl, um, if you're going to any, bowl, any other bowl games this holiday season, Use our promo code SPURSUP. Get $20 off your first purchase with our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, it's the only ticket-buying app I use. It's really uh, user-friendly, really easy to use. Uh, so, again, download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP to get $20 off your first purchase. If you've already got an account, create a new, new account with a new email. That way you can use the promo code and get that 20 bucks off. It's really that simple. All right, enjoy this interview with Eric Norwood, and we will see you guys in 2019. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a former Gamecock I know fans are very familiar with. He played for the Gamecocks from 2006 to 2009. He set school career records in tackles for loss with 54 and a half and quarterback sacks with 29. A Gamecock that always seemed to be in the right place at the right time and make a big play when South Carolina needed it. I want to welcome to the show Eric Norwood. Eric, appreciate you taking the time, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, man, I'm just glad y'all got me on here finally. Yeah, no, I know. Like I said, it's uh, finally, it's, we finally were able to get you on for sure. But let's go ahead and jump right into it. Obviously, you were um, a very, you know, pretty highly touted recruit out of a North Cobb High School in Kennesaw, Georgia. Um, 
you know, talk about being a Georgia kid, what drew you to come to South Carolina and why you decided to be a Gamecock from the, from the start? Uh, to be completely honest, I mean, I moved to Georgia my my freshman year of high school from Texas, and uh, I really wasn't an SEC fan at all, and I was committed to Oklahoma State. And uh, I played against Terrence Campbell, like, in one of the first few games of my senior year. He was like, hey, man, let's go to South Carolina. Let's go for a visit. Like, you know, Kenny's up there. He's like, man, let's just go up there, check it out. We can go to school together. And then I went for a visit and never looked back. That's awesome. So, again, you got to South Carolina in 2006. Um, you know, normally for freshmen, there's some sort of a transition period, if you will, where you kind of get used to the speed of the game and, um, you know, just get used to playing at the college level. You, however, transitioned very well. Um, had 30 total tackles your first year, nine tackles for loss, seven sacks. You know, it's funny. I was talking with, I believe it was when we had Savelle Newton on, I remember talking to him about I was at the Florida Atlantic game when he threw five touchdowns, you know, to Sidney Rice and, in 2006. And the other thing I remember about that game is that that was your, the, I think that was the game you had your first career sack. I always like to tell people I was at the, uh, the game you had your first career sack and then the game that you had the, the record setting sack against Ole Miss in 2009. But just talk about what do you think with your game, you were able to transition so well. I mean, again, you were named first team freshman, all SEC. Um, you know, just talk about what do you think contributed to you being able to transition so well as a true freshman to being, being able to make the immediate impact that you did. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'll probably say it's my coach, uh, Brad Lawn. I mean, I just took his took his coaching and just my athletic ability and just put everything together between Coach Lawn and Coach Nix. And I, honestly, our whole coaching staff we had, which, I mean, they were wonderful. So just with everything, just from watching the film, the highlights of some of his older players like Julius Peppers and Julian Peterson and those guys in the film room and then putting it on the field, it worked out perfect. Yeah, and you certainly did. You know, obviously you talked about Coach Lawing. I know there's been rave reviews about him, and I know a lot of South Carolina fans would like to see Coach Lawing come back to South Carolina. Uh, another coach that you obviously played for was a Hall of Fame coach, the legend Steve Spurrier. Um, talk about what kind of your relationship with him was, because I think it's interesting. You know, we've talked to a lot of previous quarterbacks, some wide receivers. You know, obviously we had Corey Boyd last week, and it's interesting the offensive guys, you know, how their, their relationships with Coach Spurrier differ based on position. But how did the relationship with Coach Spurrier, what type of relationship did you have with him as a defensive player? Was he involved with you guys a lot? And then just in regards to not just on the football field, but off the field as well, what type of impact did he leave on you? I mean, Coach Spurrier, I mean, he's a great guy. Go through the, go through the wall for him any time of the day. But he, uh, as far as my relationship with Spurrier, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, he never really said too much to me other than, like, go out there and make plays and make sure I was doing good in the classroom stuff like that, like really taking stuff serious and knowing the work that they put in to get me into school in the first place. And uh, he never really let that one, like, go over my head. Like, he made sure, like, the four years I was there that, that I just kept putting academics first. And then when I graduated early, that was probably, like, one of the biggest things, that, the biggest way that I could repay him for getting me into school. So, but, uh, yeah, Spurrier, I mean, he loved me on and off the field, but during practice, he, I'm pretty sure he hated me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were uh, the whole defense out of practice one day. So. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that because I know that I remember that that story coming up, and there wasn't you know obviously they're not going to let a ton out. But what was the uh, what was the story behind that? You guys, I, what what I'm remind us what year that was because I kind of forget. But what year was that? And then what's kind of the whole story behind you guys getting kicked out of practice? That was uh that was 2008 towards the towards the end of the season, and um. Uh, 
I think it was, we had like a night practice or whenever it was, we had like a longer practice for whatever reason. And like Mo Brown, like caught like a screen pass and like tried to spin. And as soon as he came off of that spin, I just lifted him up, lifted him off his feet, and did like a backflip. <laughs> and then Spurry was like, he was just, he was pissed after that. He just made the whole deep. Actually, he made us run. Then he made us get off the field. So, I mean, it was pretty cool not having to practice the rest of the day. <laughs> he didn't like you guys uh, punishing his offensive guys, I guess, huh? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, especially when he touches quarterback shit. He's real crazy <laughs> over that. Yeah, I was, and I was going to say, you know, it really doesn't surprise me because I know that you guys took on the mantra of being the goon squad. You know, that – uh you know, we, we obviously we obviously interact and follow a ton of former Gamecocks on social media, but I know one that we followed, I saw a video of the other day, uh, Emmanuel Cook put one up, and it just kind of reminded me of the tenacity and the toughness and the physicality you guys play with. And I think you guys really, you know, I wasn't sure if that was fan started or if you guys started that amongst yourselves, but you guys definitely, I feel like, took on that, that mantra, if you will, is being the goon squad and, you know, just carrying yourself with a swagger. Talk about just what that was like being on that defense because, like I said, you guys played, I feel like, to a different level that contributed to a ton of wins while you were at South Carolina. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. I honestly can't remember how the name came about, but we definitely took it and ran with it. I mean, you look at all the guys we had from, from Travion Robertson, uh, Jasper Brinkley, Cliff Matthews, Emmanuel Cook, Captain Mullen, Akeem Augusti, DJ Swanger, Cody, Gilmore, like all those guys, Melvin Ingram, like we just had a, a boatload of guys like that was just everybody was just super talented and just in one defense and just really wanted to make plays. Like we did our jobs, but then we just went out there. We just had a whole different sense of like of urgency, I guess you could say. Like we we felt like we were the best on the field at at any time. We felt like we could win games. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I definitely felt like that showed as well, just the way you guys played. Um, let's talk about 2007, because I feel like this was really your, you know, obviously you had a good freshman campaign, but I feel like 2007 was really kind of your coming out party, and specifically the Kentucky game. I know that's probably one a lot of people love to talk to you about and ask you about, but a Thursday night game, Kentucky was a top 10 team. They had a Heisman uh, candidate quarterback in Andre Woodson, and, you know, all you did was have one of the best games, I would say, in NCAA history with two fumble returns for touchdowns, um, five tackles in the game, one tackle for loss, two pass deflections. And I know the two touchdowns, the two fumble returns for touchdowns tied an NCAA record. Um, what was it that – was it anything specifically that night clicking for you? I mean, did you find yourself in the right place at the right time? And, um, you know, what do you kind of attribute to the game you guys had? Because that was definitely a huge win for, the, uh, for you guys in the program as well. I mean, definitely the the right place at the right time, but really, I mean, that was like our, our practice habits as well, like mm-hmm. picking up loose balls and stuff like that. Like you never know if it's going to be a fumble or not, so you just pick it up and run with it and just you implement that in practice. When game time comes, it's, it's no problem. But I remember that night in particular, me and E. Cook, we had like a read on Kentucky, like on the, uh, when they do like a little zone read and all that stuff. Like if he walk up, up in the box, and he just make them give it, but if he stay back, then they like pass, and we just kept we just kept toying with them all night between me and him because they were like keying both of us, and uh, we just had that going. But I was even with that game, I was still like just a little pissed about that game because I because I couldn't get a sack. <laughs> <laughs> but it, everything else worked out. But I was still mad about that game. Even when I scored the second touchdown, I was like, I just want to get a sack. 
we still ended up getting it, but we ended up winning. And it was good for the program. Yeah, and that's why you're great. And I remember that was a really wet one too, real rainy game. But just to yeah. remind people, remind people how good you were that year. 69 total tackles, 19 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, nine QB hurries, three fumble recoveries. Not not a bad season. Um, I thought an interesting move, Eric, and you can kind of give me some insight. After two years, you you know, you were playing mostly defensive end. Um, you were moved to linebacker for your junior season. Um, obviously, you just continued to play well and have a good year. What sort of prompted that move? Was it something that you guys thought would or felt would improve the defense, that there was a position in need and that you could sort of fit in? Because I, I sort of see you, your position, how you played, sort of almost fitting in the buck position that South Carolina has now, almost like a hybrid pass rusher. But you were obviously very good against the run still, but sort of reminds me of sort of that hybrid pass rusher, run stopper type type guy. What, but what prompted the move overall going into your junior year to, uh, to move to linebacker? Well, I, I want to say it was Coach Johnson. And, uh, like, the change of – we switched our whole defense. So, we went from, like, running, like, a 4-3 and a 3-4 under Coach Nix to running, like, a 3-3-5 and a 4-2-5, like, unconventional defenses. And Coach Johnson felt it would be best. He told me – honestly, straight up told me, he was like, if you want to go to the NFL, you're going to have to go at linebacker. And at that time, I was 275 coming from DN and I ended up I want to say I was probably playing between 275 and 260 throughout my junior year but uh I mean that was that was the case and it worked out perfect it let me move around a whole lot more and it let me learn the game a whole lot more so then I had Jasper Brinkley teach me all the ins and outs about linebackers so it really wasn't too bad at all yeah it's not a that's not a guy not a bad guy to uh to take uh, take notes from, I guess you could say a true true headhunter in his own right. right. Um, on that defense, I, I kind of ask you, you know, because I assume going in your junior season, you know, when, when did it click or when did it become to you that it was kind of your defense? You were the leader because I know that's something that sort of changes every year in the locker room as guys graduate and you know move on to the NFL or move on to life after football. When you were there, was it something where? it was more so a bunch of leaders on the defense? Was it one guy each season? Because I have to imagine, you know, at least going into your junior season and definitely senior year, that you had to be one of, if not the leader on that defense. How did that play out, that chemistry play out for you guys? I mean, it, it worked out great. I mean, everybody, we, we played as a unit. So regardless of if the plays were set up for me to make or not, like we still, we still played as a unit. Even if I had 10 plays named after me specifically to get to the quarterback or – spot a running back or whatever it may be. Like we just all tried to make plays regardless. So we had so many we had so many playmakers mm. that it it really didn't matter. But yeah, I mean it, it definitely I definitely did get that feeling my junior year that it was my defense and I did try to get outside of I tried to go outside the defense at one point and Coach Lawn like pretty much benched me from like pass rushing <laughs> for like I wanna say like three or four games and he like put me at D tackle. Mm. So then, like, over the last three or four games of my junior year, I think I might have had, like, seven or eight sacks. But that was when Coach Long put me back in the lineup at DN. So, but it all, it all worked out good, though, man. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything back. Right, absolutely. So, just to kind of remind people, again, your junior season, 75 tackles, 14 and a half for loss, nine sacks, nine QB hurries, two fumble recoveries, forced fumble. I mean, you were named first team All-SEC by coaches in the AP. Um and, you know, you were a very consistent player, but you definitely got better year after year after year. Um, after the – you know, you guys went and played, I believe it was Iowa in the Outback Bowl. 
you decided you were going to enter the the NFL draft, um, you know, which is something a lot of juniors do, obviously. But then you changed your mind, decided to come back for your senior season. What was that process like and what eventually led you to decide, hey, I'm going to return back to South Carolina for my senior year? Yeah, it was a uh, – I ain't going to lie, it was tough. I mean, it was super tough because you like getting enticed with, with all the – I guess the the luxuries of everything from mm. that from not being a – from being a professional versus being a college football player like a, a broke college student <laughs> versus a, a 21-year-old kid with some money in his pocket. And, uh, I don't know. It was kind of tough to make that decision, but just talking to the coaches and to the my academic support staff, like for Raymond Harris and Maria Hickman, and then being able to like graduate early, like I think all that factored in. And then my grade was like a, I want to say I had like a second, third round grade at the time. But uh, just with everybody that was coming out that year too, I think it was like AJ Hawk and mm-hmm. a couple others that has. So I can't remember exactly who, but it was it was a bunch of people that was there that was coming out that year. And I really didn't want to come out that year because I didn't feel like I was too polished at linebacker yet. Mm. Felt like I was kind of raw and could have improved a lot. So, uh, I mean, I decided to come back last minute. Uh, Deuce Staley got me through that process a lot as well. Mm. I'd probably say he's one of the probably 56% of the reason I came back. But, uh, but yeah, he helped me through that a lot and just really broke it down to me and the pros and the cons and just made the decision to come back and, one probably the best decision of my life. Right. And Deuce so Deuce was uh was he still on the Eagles at that point, the coaching staff? Or was he with South Carolina anyway? Um uh, I'm I'm not sure if he was with the Eagles at that time. Uh but I do know that me and him like we had a good relationship at that time. Okay. Gotcha. So just because we're speaking on the NFL, uh what was the was there any type of comparison to like you're you're this type of player or you remind us of this guy as far as the NFL draft? Is there someone they they compared you to or kind of projected you side by side that you could be X type of player in the NFL or was it you know you wanted to be the first Eric Norwood in the NFL per se? I mean, I really wanted to be the first Eric Norwood, but I mean, I kept hearing comparisons from like Lamar Woodley and Ellis Dumerville and those guys like you know the shorter six one six two. Defensive end linebackers, but yeah, I mean, I really wanted to be be myself, and it really didn't work out like that. So, still fun, though. Still had, still had a hell of a time. <laughs> Got yeah, for sure. Got you. Well, like you said, you returned for your senior season to South Carolina, and wasn't a bad decision at all. You were named first team All American by the AP. Um, had a fantastic season. You were able to come back and break the all-time sack record, which in the Gamecocks' sixteen to ten victory over Ole Miss, which is one. If you're a Gamecock fan, you Without a doubt, remember, I was at, like I said, I was at that game. Um, you know, before we get into that game, because I definitely want to talk to you about that one. But, you know, you, you come back after you could have went to the NFL draft. You come back. How much did it mean to you to break the record, to be the all-time sack leader? You know, your name is obviously still up on the uh, on the turnstiles in the stadium for tackles for loss and the sacks. But do you think, was that something when you started the season out, was that one of your goals that, hey, I want to break that sack record and be the all-time leader? and you know, be a Gamecock legend, somebody people recognize forever. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, when, like, once I started hearing about it, like, our media people started telling me, like, hey, you're this close to doing this and that. And I really, I really wasn't paying it no mind. I wasn't really looking at mm-hmm. sack records and all that stuff. Like, I just always played the play, just whatever, right. how many, however many plays I made to help the team. That's all I cared about. But, uh, but yeah, going into my senior year, like, I definitely, I definitely had a little focus on that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely say so, just the way you played. Again, 81 tackles, 11 and a half for loss, seven sacks. Um, you actually blocked three kicks in 2009. I kind of forgot about that. Um, let's get into, though, that old Miss game. Obviously, again, that's that's one that Gamecock fans go back to. And you could almost point to and say was sort of the the turning point, if you will, of the South Carolina program under Steve Spurrier and really set up what led to what we saw in 2010 to 2013. But you guys come in again. Obviously, to remind everybody, Thursday night game, Ole Miss is number four in the country. I think it was the first top five or a first win over a top five team since I think 1980 or 81. May have been the first one at home. I'm not 100% sure. But obviously, a huge win over a top five team. The birth of Sandstorm, I know, is very uh, very popular. What did that getting that win mean to you guys, um, you know, moving forward throughout that season? I mean, we – we just knew we were going to beat them, honestly. Like, mm. we had the number the year before, and then they came in highly touted with Jevin Sneed, that quarterback. But just with the team that we had, man, like, we knew if we went out there and stuck to the game plan that, that we could make it happen, man. <laughs> Thursday nights, I mean, we had guys that – we had guys that always showed up, but we had some guys that played a whole lot better on uh, mm. on the primetime games. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was great for us, and I definitely think that was like a stepping stone towards us. Uh, Towards those winning seasons, like laid that foundation down from when Spurrier started going like eleven and one and ten and two, those years and getting those key guys and recruiting like the the clownies and stuff like that in the Lattimore's and letting letting everybody know that we uh that we got a we have a great program. Yeah, and that's one reason. That's one reason, honestly, Eric. I love talking to you guys. Like you know, again, we've had Savelle Newton, Corey Boyd, sort of leading back to the beginning of the the Spurrier era, and then talking to yourself as well because I think it's important to know sort of where you came from and, you know, talk to the people that really laid the foundation for the South Carolina program that we watch today. And, you know, the, the, the major reasons I would say that there are such high expectations now for South Carolina football are guys like yourself coming through and getting wins like that. Um, what does it mean to you, you know, to know that you were part of that process? And I, I know you had to take a little bit of pride watching those 2010, 2011 teams, you know, a lot of your buddies, obviously, I think of one right off the top of my head, Stephon Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, a ton of your guys, a ton of your boys were on those teams. How much pride did you take in knowing that you, you, you did have part in that 2010 SEC East Championship, three straight 11 win seasons? Oh, man, it, I, it felt good. It felt good. I mean, because those are my guys, like those are my young dudes, like, I used to have to tell Gilmore what to do sometimes, like, <laughs> in coverage. Like, hey, he's like, man, Wood, 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 what are we in? What are we in? I'm like, man, it's cover four. Like, I'm like, just, I'm like, just, just play right here. Just play 10 yards <laughs> off. And just, we'll, we'll make a play. Don't even worry about it. But, it, uh, I mean, it was good, man, just seeing all those young guys develop and just keep that same attitude we had. Like, I think that's my, I think that's like the major difference between now. Like from when I played and when we passed the torch on to those guys, to Swearinger and Gilmore and Melvin and those guys, is that that attitude. Like we just had a certain – we had a certain swagger about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think our defense now is like kind of getting there. You know, but they're not there yet. But uh, they will be soon enough. But, but, yeah, man, it was good. It was good just to see those guys ball out and really make a name for themselves and have good careers in the NFL. Yeah, Gilmore for sure. I mean, I think he's the top-rated cornerback in the NFL. DJ Swearinger, a Pro Bowl snub, but whatever. Um, but he's obviously one of the best safeties in the league. We all know what Clowney's doing. So, uh, but yeah, you guys definitely had some ball players, and I think definitely, you know, you talking about the 2018 team and what Will Muschamp is building. I think 
as he gets his guys in there, some of these top-rated defensive guys. I think having guys that are obviously talented but then have that sort of mentality. You look at a guy like a J.C. Horn who just carries himself. Um, you can tell that his father played in the NFL, right? He just carries himself with that confidence and that swagger. And I think, like you right. said, I don't, I don't think it's all the way there, but it's definitely starting to come back. All right. It's like you take that uh, – what's that guy? I don't know who he is. I think he's a freshman. He's like number 10 or something like that. Oh, R.J. Roderick, the safety, yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of Darren Stewart. Like, the way he'll come down and smack you between him and D.J. Swearinger, like, he's got that type of attitude. And that's the guy that's going to bring that – he's going to bring that swagger back to that defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's coming I, from the back end and just landing, landing down. <laughs> yeah. No, I 100% agree. So, getting back to that old Miss game, because remember, I, you know – I know that the whole 2000 – it's funny. It feels like the whole 2009 season centers around that one because it was such a monumental win. But um, talk about, again, that was the birth of Sandstorm, you know, everything going crazy. I mean, I remember being in the upper deck for that game. You could feel the stadium shaking. Is that the loudest you've ever heard, williams Bryce Stadium, or was there was there another moment that topped that? No, I don't think it was another moment that topped that. That was a, that was a crazy game. That was, that was a hell of a night. I mean, because it really started off like – they started off with like a touchdown initially and it got called back like after I missed the tackle. And then uh shit after that, that's when we just we just really took off and was like we're gonna dominate these guys front end and back end. Garcia was balling, uh everybody. Cully came down with big hits, like Akeem Augusti, I think he almost like had a pick six, like I don't know, it was just a whole bunch of plays that game, like where we just like really just took their wheel that game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, again, being at that game, an amazing night. Um, you talked about Steven Garcia just real quick. He's a guy, he's a friend of the show. We've had him on a couple of times. What was the relation? Because I know that the team, you know, with Spurrier, it was obviously – I talked to Garcia about the 2008 Arkansas game when it was him and Chris Smelly, literally every play in and out. And I know the struggles and the frustrations he had. But you could definitely tell that when Steven Garcia got in the game, there was a different type – that the team just reacted differently. You could tell that he was a – a player's guy, that his guys really rallied around him. Did you guys on the defense feel that as well? Was there any type of relationship between those defensive guys and, you know, knowing that a Steven Garcia would go get the job done for you? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you, you never have to doubt any of those guys. But when Garcia got in, you just knew, like, he's going to go that extra mile. He's going to hurdle that defender. He's going to shake off that sack. Like, I mean, Garcia, he's just a player. He's a baller. He was just a baller from the time he came in. And he had a great relationship with the defense. And, it made it a whole lot easier to go out there and, and keep fighting just to get them better field positions because, you know, you get Garcia, Garcia get in there, you're going to make something happen. Like, regardless, it could be third and 19. He's going to try to go get 21 yards, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. a hell of a guy. That's my guy right there. Absolutely. So, the other game I'd say in 2009 that was very memorable and really, really showcased the two freshmen or one of the freshmen that you've talked about and another one we haven't, which, which is Alshon Jeffrey, was the 2009 Clemson game. And you obviously also beat them in 2006 when you were a true freshman, but you had a big impact in that 09 Clemson game. You had a, a fumble recovery, I believe, that you returned, I think, 30 or 40 yards. I remember specifically you running out of steam at midfield, I think. But um, talk about what was playing Clemson like for you Um how long did it take you to kind of figure out sort of how intense the rivalry was? But what was that week like for you in that game? And how how does it make you feel knowing, you know, obviously you split with them, but you ended your career with a, with a really a blowout win over them? Oh, man, it felt great. It felt great to go out on a – go out with a win against those guys. Like, 
felt, felt real good. It didn't take long for me to really realize the intensity of that rivalry at all. Like, it probably, I'd probably say maybe two weeks in a training camp, like with Coach Lon and everybody else just saying, like, what we can't do, what we can do. And we play like this versus Clemson, like, how we going to look and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it felt, shit, it was wonderful. It's always wonderful when you get a win versus Clemson. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, I mean, that's bragging rights. And I think at that time it was TJ, TJ Spiller and James Davis and those guys back there. And TJ returned to kick the senior, my senior year in 09. And Devontae Holloman, like, picked off a pass, took it back to the house, like, Alshon ball, everything. So, I mean, it was great. It just showcased our young ball and what the program had ahead. Yeah. And it was definitely, you know, some it led to what happened the next four years, which is the, that was the start of the five game winning streak for South Carolina over Clemson for sure. Um, not to go on a negative note, but I think it's almost it's not funny, but I, I love to hear kind of you guys' perspective because the 2009 season ended with a trip to uh, the Papa John's.com bowl, which has it's funny to hear recollections of fans because obviously I was unable to go to that, but I've heard recollections of fans. And even Steven Garcia talked to us about just that game in general and just how ridiculously cold and miserable that game was. I remember Steven specifically saying, you know, that when Alshon's out there dropping balls, it's not your day and it's a frigid day because Alshon doesn't drop the football. Right. What was that day like for you guys? Because I remember watching on TV and, um, you know, I heard all the stories. They ran out of pizza by halftime. It was just a miserable experience for South Carolina fans. What was that experience like for you uh, in that bowl game? Oh uh, man, it was it was crazy. To be honest with you, it was, that was probably the coldest game I I ever played in prior to going to the NFL and going to Canada. Like that game was like ridiculously cold, and then you look down on the other end, like you times like no sleeves and all that, and all these big six six, three hundred pound old linemen they got, and you just hear them the whole game like run power old, run power old. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like this. I'm looking at Shaq Wilson. I'm like, man, this gonna be a long ass game. Like, we're gonna have to come down and <laughs> I really knock the hell out of these guys to really get into it. But I mean, once we got warm, it was cool. But mm. yeah, I wouldn't. I, I hate playing in the cold. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Hey, trust me, I'm from South Carolina myself. I definitely understand. Um, so after that 2009 season, you were picked in the NFL draft, 2010 NFL draft, fourth round pick, um, 124th pick overall by the Carolina Panthers. Just talk about, you know, as, you know, obviously a player, that's your goal, right? When you're coming up playing Pop Warner all the way to, you know, JV, to high school, to college. And I think that's every player's goal that plays the game at a high level. You want to go to the next level, play at the NFL. What was it like to, have, you know, be drafted in the fourth round and just have your dream realized? I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. To be completely honest with you, it was uh, definitely surreal. But, uh, I mean, once I got there, I wasn't like a, on foreign territory, I guess. I mean, I had Captain Munlin there already. And then a couple other guys that I knew that played in the SEC a couple years before me with Charles Johnson and uh, Corby Irvin. A couple guys that played at Georgia, whatever. But uh, it was cool. I mean, I learned how to be a pro very early and basically had to start over. I had to start everything over just from, from scratch. It wasn't no more Mr. All American. It's like, all right, now you're a rookie. Now you got to. You got to relearn everything. You know what I mean. And you got to be ready every every day. Like you're not available to go out there and make plays for the team, and you're gonna have a hard time sticking around. So it was. A, I learned early how to how to make it happen. How to how to be a pro and just keep everything going, and how to conduct myself. And that definitely helped me when I 
left the NFL and went to Canada. So, What was the one thing – what would you say the hardest transition was going from college football to the NFL? Would you say it was on the field or would you say it was more so off the field adjusting to being a full-time professional football player? I mean, it was it was on the field. It was the, it was the terminology. Like, because I, I was playing linebacker and defensive end, so like the the defensive line terminology was nothing. But the linebacker terminology, you had to know the whole defense. And like, you got like three or four coverages just within one coverage. Like, cover two had like three coverages in it. If the wide receiver motioned, or if they went in bunch, and you know, just a whole bunch of stuff. And it probably took me like week week nine or ten just to really like start playing at full speed and by that time the guy who I was pushing for that starting spot like it was <laughs> he was already ahead of the game he was a veteran but uh yeah it took it took me a while to get it but once I got it it was fine but it takes a while to gain that confidence because mm-hmm. you, you got to learn so much and it's like in college like you think you got a thick playbook but it ain't a playbook at all until you get to the NFL. <laughs> who was the uh, the veteran you were battling for the starting spot is he still in the league now? Uh, no, he's not, but, uh, James Anderson. Okay. I, I do know that name for sure. Okay. Yeah, James Anderson. So, that year we had, like, John Beeson at linebacker and Thomas mm-hmm. Davis. So, I mean, we had a bunch of good guys back there. But, uh, well, yeah, Anderson was the guy I was battling for that spot. Right. So, you were with the Panthers 2010-2011, um, released by the Panthers during the 2012 preseason uh, and then eventually moved on to the U, uh, United Football League, which we're going to get to in just a second, kind of the rest of your professional career. But what do you, you know, looking back at your career in the NFL, which I, I think I know you probably are, but should 100% be proud of because I know there's there's tons of guys who play the game of football that never even sniff that level that level of football. Just talk about overall your time in the league, you know, what you learned and what do you think led to eventually – you know, being released by Carolina? I mean, overall, I'd probably say with just with that probably led to my release was, I mean, I wasn't making a lot of plays. <laughs> Straight up, I was making plays on special teams, but they didn't bring me in to be a special teams guy. Right. They brought me in to be an impact guy. And at that time, I wasn't, during my second year, I wasn't really making a whole lot of plays. I was making plays I was supposed to make. You know what I mean? Making them right. later. But the big plays that they wanted me, that they drafted me for, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. So, uh, and then when once I got hurt going into my third year, I felt that was a, that was probably like my best year, like my best training camp. And then I messed up my MCL versus Houston, and we had just drafted a, uh, I think we just drafted Frank Alexander out of Oklahoma at defensive end. So then my head, in my head at that time, I'm just like, all right, like now I got to compete even more, like go even harder. Right. And uh. It was just bad timing, right. to be completely honest. But, I mean, it was what it was. I had a great time. I learned a lot, made a lot of great friendships, and it was cool. Uh, a lot of great great coaching staff, people in Charlotte, a whole lot of Gamecock fans <laughs> that yeah. didn't even know existed outside of South Carolina. So. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the thing that really surprised – you know, obviously you said you battled through injury that last season, but the thing that surprised me, I guess, the most, and I guess just a test to – the business that the NFL is. I mean, you weren't some seventh round or with all due respect to the seventh round guys and you're like the free agent guys, but you weren't like a free agent signee. I mean, you were a fourth round pick. And I guess the biggest thing that surprised me about your career in the NFL was that you didn't get another opportunity after Carolina. I mean, did you ever get any calls after the Panthers didn't work out? I mean, was it, 
Did you have any opportunity oh, yeah. to play in the league again? Yeah, I did. Honestly, I uh, man, I worked out for uh, I worked out for the Giants, the the Saints, the Eagles, Tampa, and I forgot. I think it was, uh, I already said the Saints, but mm. yeah, I mean, I got a couple shots, and then uh, once I went to Canada. I want to say after like my first year in Canada, my first and my second year, teams were trying to get me to like be able to get out of my contract to like sign with them, and my team in Canada would not let me out of my contract <laughs> to go back to the NFL. And I understood it, but I didn't like it at all. So I kind of got locked in up there, and I mean I made a name for myself up there, but mm. so it's it's kind of tricky when you go across that border, like. Right. If you suck, then they'll, then they'll let you go, and you can go, you can go back <laughs> to the states and, and play. But if you, <laughs> you start making plays, and that's when things get a little ugly. Hmm. So yeah, I mean your your professional career. Well, really quick, it, it was very interesting. Again, you were with the Panthers, 2010 to early 2012, and you played for the Virginia Destroyers of the United Football League. That the league eventually collapsed. You jumped around the oh, yeah. arena. Oh, that was horrible. That, that, well, tell tell us about that because I'm honest. I'll be honest with you. I've never even heard of the United Football League, so I looked at that and was like, I, I've never heard of. It. I guess there's a reason if the league collapsed. Yeah, that league was horrible. They were supposed to pay us like supposed to be like eight games, five thousand a game, and I don't think we got paid. Let me see. We probably got paid in 2014 or 15. Wow. All of our checks, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's something with that league. But man, they had a standing like a like a like a sketchy little motel, like on Virginia Beach, and it was just it was horrible. Like we go to practice, and uh, like our undershirts was like our practice clothes. Like we didn't have like Under Armour and all that. It's like mm. um, I was at practice with like a True Religion shirt underneath my jersey. <laughs> wow. So it was like it was it was just weird. I mean, we had a lot of good players. A bunch of guys who played in the league, but a bunch of coaches who uh, who coached in the league. But yeah, it was a it was a horrible league. Like no structure whatsoever. Like I don't even think I played with hip pads. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So after that, obviously you jumped around to the Arena Football League, some other stuff. Then finally, you landed in the CFL uh, with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and like you said, really made a name for yourself. Um, let's see, three seasons, 114 tackles in 42 games. You were named the East Division All-Star following the 2014 season. Talk about, you know, obviously it's not the NFL, but the CFL. There's been a lot of good players to go through there. What was your experience like playing in Canada? And when you look back on it, um, you know, what do you remember most about it? Man, I just remember just just getting up there and going through the border and, like, just noticing, like, the change of accent, you know, just being from from the south, it's like you know you got you got the New Yorkers with their accent up there, and it's kind of funny. But then you get the Canadians, and it's just like it's like damn, like y'all kind of talk a little funny. <laughs> and then they're just so damn nice. <laughs> but uh, just the CFL as a whole, man, it was it was crazy. I remember my coach, I remember him telling me when I got there, he was like, he was like the big time. He was like, it's not the NFL, it's like it's wherever you at. And I just kept that same like little motto with me the whole, the whole time. And took everything I learned from the league and and just really tried to just. That's why I really got my confidence back. Got my love back for the games back in Canada. So it was a uh, it was lovely. I mean, I had a great four years up there. Like even though the money was less, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. 
Right. And like you said, I mean, you were able to make a really big time impact, really make a name for yourself. Um, unfortunately, you know, tore your ACL in 2015. Um, you know, we're in recovery, you released by Hamilton, signed by Saskatchewan. I know the, uh, you know, you battled with rehab and recovery and you eventually following the 2016 season, I believe you retired, um, at age 28. Um, I can only imagine, you know, because coming back from injury, obviously, is so much more. It's so much more than a physical test and a physical grind. It's it's so much of a mental being able to go in there every single day and get back to being fully healthy. You know, what eventually led to you announcing your retirement from football? Because I know that's something that couldn't have been easy. But was it something that just kind of clicked for you? Was it a bunch of conversations you had to have with yourself, with family? Like, what was that process like as far as you know, giving up the game? I mean, it it wasn't really too hard to be completely honest. Like, I came back off that injury. Like, my injury was like pretty much the same as Lattimore's. So, if that kind of like, oh wow, yeah, that that puts sense. in perspective. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so with that being said, it's like everything that I was doing to to get through practice and to get through a game, or better yet, get through the day, like was just crazy. Like from the the medication I was taking and all that stuff, it was like it wasn't. It wasn't healthy for me to be doing, for one. And two, it was a uh, – I didn't want to go out there and be average. Like, I was out there, like, when I came back 2016, I played in two games, probably had, like, one tackle and, like, three pass deflections. But to them, they were like, oh, you're playing good. Like, next year is going to be great. And I'm like, in my head, I'm, I'm like, it ain't going to be nothing next year. <laughs> like, I'm done after this. I'm done after this season. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I felt like if I couldn't get a game at all, then why go out there at all? Right. No, so, definitely definitely makes sense yeah. for sure. Um, so, obviously, you're done with football now. Talk about, um, you know, what you've been up to, obviously, post which is funny. I didn't even realize as of that recent. That was only two years ago. So, you have not been out of football that long. Um, just let everybody know sort of what you've been up to since then and what life after football has been like for Eric Norwood. Oh, man, life after football has been great. I mean, I had a child, got a one-year-old daughter. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. She's hell on wheels but i love her to death <laughs> uh and outside of that man i i just been doing my thing with i got like a trucking company with my dad so we've been having that going for the last couple of years whatever and then i just started my own and i'm still like getting like my permits and stuff and getting everything lined up for my own company to start going but i pretty much got the foundation down for that so but outside of that man i ain't really doing that and just switching it up and making a couple connections. I got a couple guys in South Carolina that that I've done that I've worked with and my dad has worked with uh throughout the Gamecock organization. So awesome. Well not the I ain't gonna say like the Gamecock organization, but a couple of fans that mm. I know for, like that do the same type of thing with logistics. So nice. It's been a, yeah, it's been cool. It had its ups and downs, but it's uh, it's been good overall. Yeah, living in Charlotte, I've definitely had a couple of friends that I, logistics is pretty big there as well. So definitely know about that world. Um, you know, for you overall, just looking back on your career, what would you say? We'll stick to the Gamecocks because obviously this is a Gamecock podcast, and I know that as great as your professional career was, we all want to know what was your because you're a guy that had a ton of success. I mean, again, your name is on on the stadium. I mean, it's on the turnstile, literally for the most sacks, most tackles for loss. But when you look back on your career in Garnet and Black. What would you say is your favorite memory from being a Gamecock? Damn, favorite memory? <laughs> you had a lot of good ones. I know that's a tough question. 
Oh, man. You talking on the field or you talking five points? Just period. Just I, whatever. I mean, hey, whatever it is, it's, it's all good with me. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I guess I keep it on the field. I'll probably say that old Miss game, honestly. That game, between that game and Mississippi State game where I got my first sack, that was a – that was probably because that's when the game slowed down. Yeah, I say Mississippi State. That's when everything slowed down because I didn't have – once I made a play, I didn't have the coaches in my ear anymore. I could finally just go out there and start playing at a faster pace. And I mean, that was – yeah. Yeah, I'll probably say that was it. Mississippi State, Ole Miss for sure. And that was Those the o- that was the 06 Mississippi State game, correct? Yeah, yeah, yep. the first yeah, night game. Yep, yep, I I remember that one very, very vividly. Um, yeah, of course, and he was back like good crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, you know. Obviously, you know, we had Corey on last week, and uh, I didn't ask him about that because you know I feel like I feel like it sort of you know I'll just say I feel, I feel like it sort of bothers him a little bit because that is one of the first memories you think of when you think of Corey boy, just cause it was such a funny moment. I, I try to keep it light. I mean, it was just something funny in the spur of the moment, but I know Corey, you know, he, he doesn't like the people bring that up, but I think we can, if we can't laugh at ourselves, who can we laugh at? Right. So that, that was a pretty yeah. funny moment on national. I know y'all I probably mean, gave him a ton of hell for that. Oh yeah. It was hilarious. Like, and if you knew him, then you knew like what he meant by, right. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was like talking about like, selling drugs or anything. Right. Just, right. Just talking about his recovery and the way he bounced back. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that was, that was hilarious. And Coach Spurrier didn't know, he didn't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> he was like, he's like what, do you, what, what, do you, what do you mean? You're, you're back like cook crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, but yeah, th- man. Yeah. We had some crazy memories. I was going to say, since you're going off, was there is there a, is there a, a, a specific Spurrier impersonation or like a Spurrier memory where you can do a, a good Spurrier impersonation from – I mean, did he ever rip into the defense at all? Did he ever – because I, I know that – I mean, the one time I remember specifically where he – you know, this is the most we'd ever seen him rip into a defense was the 2007 Kentucky game, I believe, when he called in – was his what was his name? Ron Cook, I think, the defensive backs coach, and got him to address. You know, hey, what defense were we playing there, Ron? I, I, I forget. I don't. I'm not sure if that was his name or not. But he got him oh, to yeah. talk to the oh, media. But was there ever a time where he ripped into you guys, or did he just sort of leave that alone? And if so, I mean, what's your best uh, Spurrier impression of him getting into the defense? Man, he definitely, definitely that 07 season. Uh, we went on that horrible stretch with uh, Arkansas and Florida. Right. Yeah, he uh, I can't even impersonate that one because it's not a <laughs> – I can't tell you what word. It wasn't a curse word. But, uh, but yeah, man, he yeah, he, he, he lit into us uh, kind of indirectly but definitely directly to some of us, like some of the players, like some of the guys, especially like myself who I was out there. I wasn't being the best player I could be at that time, so – yeah, it's funny, you know, we we uh we were able to chat with your buddy Mo Brown at the uh the day of the Clemson game. We had him live and you know, he was funny cuz he was talking to us just basically about how Spurrier he wouldn't necessarily he would almost belittle you to the point where you were so afraid to mess up again. And, you know, he obviously I, I know you can imagine what type of life Mo Brown had as a wide receiver for Steve Spurrier. And he talked about when you know when you drop passes just how he would make you he would make you feel so small and so so bad about it that he would make sure it never happened again. So I, I know it's oh, yeah. it's always funny yeah. to hear how his players sort of interacted with him because he definitely, you know, that that's sort of the common theme I've heard from guys that played under Coach Spurrier is it just 
he had a way of sort of needling you just to, to make sure, hey, let's not let's make sure that didn't happen. Again. Man, he was blunt. Like he was, he's saying whatever's on his mind. He just got that first got that certain swag about himself. Like he got that Heisman swag. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like he puts you in the game, and he's like, oh, what? that that that's my fault. You you're never going to game again. I did that. I'm the stupid. I'm the dumbass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, shit, man. Coach was uh, he was great, but you had you got to have a lot of confidence to play for Coach Bird. You gotta have thick skin. If you ain't got that, then you, you won't make it. <laughs> yeah, I, I told somebody. I think I told Corey last week. You know, it's just funny because you know we've had on guys like Stephen Garcia and Connor Shaw, and I mean the quarterbacks that you know he obviously really liked. I mean, well, I know his relationship with Garcia was kind of rough, but at least guys he somewhat liked, right? Guys that had some success. I'm like, I just can't imagine the relationship for Steve. If you're a quarterback that didn't play well or that he didn't like, I can't imagine that relationship with Steve Spurrier. It had to be. Like you said, you've got to have some very thick skin to uh, to be in that in that quarterback room and really just on that roster in general. So, um, yeah. yeah. But other than that, man, I, I mean, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, again, it's 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 great to talk to a former Gamecock great, and again, I think someone that you know we we get so busy in looking at you know these teams. The you know everybody loves to talk about the 2010 to 2013, the run South Carolina had, and. I think that fans need to remember sort of the people that made that possible. And I think you guys from the work you did, you know, the beginning of the Spurrier era and sort of building that, you know, while maybe all of the success that was had in that 2010, 2013 run wasn't there and say 08 or 09, that wouldn't have happened without what you guys did 2008 and 2009. So I can definitely, I think I can speak for Gamecock Nation when we say we really appreciate, uh, appreciate what you did in Garnet and Black for sure. Uh, last question I'll ask you, do you think there's any football in your future as far as coaching, you know, maybe any football clinics or anything, or do you think football's, uh, you know, you've sort of moved on, it's behind you? Oh, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all the way in with football. I was actually coaching last year uh, at a high school at North Cobb High School, and uh, I had to stop during the summer because I just had conflicts with, like, getting my daughter and whatnot. But uh, I'm still I'm still looking into coaching, sending out my resumes to – certain colleges and I talked to Muschamp over the last over the last year or two and reached out to him recently prior to the uh, practicing for the bowl games but I mean I told him I'm like I'm, I'm willing to start anywhere whether it be the weight room or recruiting whatever it may be it's like I feel like once I get my foot in the door I could make a positive impact but that's definitely my end game uh, is the coaching for sure. Awesome. I, and that, I think that would be, you know, I think since Will Muschamp has gotten on campus, and, that, and that's a great place we can go next, just kind of getting your thoughts. But I think Will Muschamp has done a great job of getting the Gamecock alumni back. And like I said, I think it's just really important to recognize the people that you can't move forward without recognizing your past, right, and knowing who helped you build to where you are. Um, but talk about, you know, you, you just talked about you've had some limited in, uh, interaction with Will Muschamp. What are your impressions of him and the program that he's building at South Carolina right now? Oh man, he's a he's a great guy, great guy. Definitely, definitely the type of guy needed for that program to, to get back to where we were in those uh, years past, with those uh, ten win, eleven win seasons. And uh, his attitude, his demeanor, just the way he approaches everything, and the staff that he has around him, he, he's great, man. He's a uh, he's got he got the right support with him, even on the on the academic side. He just everything that they have in place, except for the players to succeed. And for the program to be great, so uh, yeah. I, I, I love I love him to death. I mean, he, he reaches out to guys like even when they did like the new meeting room. Like I want to say it was like eight thirty at night, and I'm just sitting here, forgot what I was doing, but I get a message from the eight hundred three number, and it's like a picture of a 
like me on a on the walls in the linebacker room, coach like, hey man, just want to thank you for what you did for the program. Want if you want whatever. Uh, it was like this is for you, and I'm just like, man, I'm like I appreciate it, like because a lot of coaches won't do that, especially like a lot of new coaches mm-hmm. who you didn't even play for. But the fact that he reached out to a couple of different guys is it's great, man. He has a lot of respect for for the for the alumni for sure. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you because obviously South Carolina is finishing up their their uh, their new football operations facility, which I think is going to be absolutely beautiful and be a game changer for the program. But I was about to say I've seen a couple of you know the different rooms. I know like the tight end rooms, for example, had Jared Cook, a guy you played with, and I've seen a couple others. But I was about to say I was going to ask you if if you knew if you had your picture up or not because I think it'd be almost a crime if they didn't have your your picture up somewhere in there. But I'm glad to know that they do for sure. But Eric, really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to join us. Let Gamecock fans know if they, you know, if they do want to interact with you, just where they can find you on social media. Man, you can find me, uh, find me on Instagram. Uh, I guess you just type in my name, Eric Norwood. It should pop up, but if not, it's Goldie uh, the Mac Five, and I think I'm on Snapchat as well as the Woodster Forty. So you can find me on there on those two for sure. And then I'm on Facebook, but. I'm really ever on there. Are you on Twitter as well or no? Uh, I am on Twitter, but I've been locked out of my Twitter since like 2016. <laughs> like <laughs> I lost the phone in Canada and I was like logged in and they won't let me back to my Twitter. <laughs> I think I now know why when I, when I tried to DM you on Twitter like a year ago, that's, I, I didn't get a response. I I, I yeah. think that explains it. Now. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, man, really do appreciate you tuning in again, Eric. You know, wish you the best of luck with everything else and obviously would love to see you back involved with the Gamecocks program uh, in some way. Really do appreciate it, man. All right, man, thanks. Thanks for having me. For sure. So, for Eric Norwood and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll be back next week to recap the Gamecocks game in the Gulf Bowl against Virginia. Until then, enjoy. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.